you know, I'm like in the middle of nowhere. I can't leave. Everyone else is just trooping out to do this. So I was like, all right. And I just was so shocked at how emotional I got. Like, it just was like shocking to me. Like I started out being like, Hey God, who doesn't exist? What's up? Like, it's just kind of being a jerk. And like, I don't know, just thinking this is stupid, but you really like, I don't know. I just got into it and found it very emotional and was like surprised. I surprised myself. And the next day, I think I started to just touch into something. It was really, it was, I actually recommend that people do this. You know, I, I, this is a practice I actually recommend to people and they think I'm nuts, but I'm like, just try it. Check one, two, one, two. Is this thing working? You're listening to Rabbi Ariel Schollclapper, the wisdom and tools you need to thrive. Welcome, everybody. This is Rob Ariel again. I'm here with my really good friend, Sarah Hurwitz, who is amazing. You'll hear her story in a little, in a few. Um, the way that we structure this time together is trying to give you at least 10 minutes of practice or just around 10 minutes of practice so you can test out what we're talking about and use that on your own later when you're, when we're not here with you. And then we're going to hear about this teacher's story, a new teacher from a Jewish mindfulness teacher from around the world or somebody who's been in the Jewish mindfulness sphere. And uh, it'll be interesting for you to hear how they got there. And maybe it'll be inspiring to you. And hopefully you'll learn some skills along the way that'll help you to also find your own peace and rhythm and connection in this world. So I'll start with a prayer. I hope that our, in our time today that we're able to uh, be entertaining and funny and uh, and that's usually how we are anyway uh, together and also to have some kind of skill building uh, illumination for other people to help them resonate with something that helps them know they're not alone and uh, to help them find peace and uh, compassion in their lives and that that compassion will translate into meaningful change not only in their own life, but into their, the lives of the people they touch in the world and ripple on out. Um, and if you like that, you could say amen. And I'll turn it over to, uh, to Sarah, who uh, will lead us in, a, in about a 10-minute practice. Is that true? Yeah? Yep, that is right. Cool. So yeah, go. Let, lead, lead me, please. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. So, you know, the practice I'm going to do today, it's based loosely on a practice that I learned from one of my great teachers, Rabbi James Jacobson Mazels. It's a, a widening practice, which I've sort of given my own spin. So to get started, it'd be great if you could close your eyes, if that's something comfortable for you. And just put yourself in a, a comfortable, but kind of alert, upright posture where your back is straight, shoulders up feet flat on the floor. You can put your hands wherever that's comfortable. And what I wanna have us do is just to start out, just focusing on your breath, just noticing your breath. And I wanna be pretty specific about this. I want you to specifically notice your breath as it's coming in and out of your nostrils. Just notice it as you breathe in through your nostrils, Notice, is the air warm, cold? 
Do you feel it kind of going up through your nose to the back of your throat, filling your chest and your stomach? And then notice as you breathe out, going back up through your chest, throat, outside your nostrils. Just try to focus very intensely, especially on the very tip of your nose, your nostrils, as the breath goes in and comes out. And I guarantee you, because you are a human being, your mind will start to wander. You'll be focusing on your nostrils, on the breath coming in, and then suddenly you'll be careening into the future making a shopping list for your grocery store run or planning a memo you have to write for work or worrying about something, some catastrophe that might befall you. And that's okay. When you notice that, just say, oh, I've wandered to the future, no problem. I'm just gonna come right back to focusing on my breath. You might find yourself wandering to the past, rehashing an argument from a week ago, regretting something that you did or said. And if that happens, that's okay. Just notice, so I'm in the past, no worries. I'm just gonna come back to the present, come back to my breath. Just feeling it as it goes into my nostrils and out. In and out. We're gonna just do this for a few minutes just to get settled. Your mind has wandered, maybe to the past, maybe to the future, maybe to some story or telling about something. No worries at all. Just notice so I'm not, not present with my breath. And then just gently bring your focus back to your breath.
Okay, now I want you to begin to widen the scope of your attention from the tips of your nostrils. We're gonna actually widen it out. And I'm gonna ask you, instead of focusing on your breath, I want you to let your focus expand outward to what's going on around you, to sounds. I want you to get really curious about any sounds that you can hear. Maybe subtle sounds, it might be the sound of your refrigerator running, or maybe some quiet noise coming in from the street. Or if you're somewhere a little bit more, a little bit less urban than I am, maybe you hear birds or wind. I should get really curious about the sounds around you. And as each new sound arises, just notice it. Get curious about it. Is it loud, soft? Is it soothing? Is it annoying? Just notice. Just get wider and wider around you, hearing even the most subtle sounds from far away. Just notice them. Your mind has wandered past the present, some judgment or story, no worries. Just notice that and bring it back to the sounds around you. Just noticing them, really tuning in your attention, sharpening your ears to anything that you can hear around you.
And when you're ready, you can just open your eyes and return to being with us. All right. Thank you. Of course. I love to put a smile on my face at the end of these things. I don't know, natural. sometimes naturally it just happens that I just feel like, yeah. yes, I did it. <laughs> Other times I'm like not having a great day, but I just say, you deserve a smile at least. <laughs> this is, you know, I remember one of my teachers, you know, there is some science I believe behind actually kind of making your mouth go into smile. It actually does cue your body, cue certain things in your body apparently. So there is actually, there's some proof for that. Ariel, look at you. <laughs> <laughs> something about this, something about the smile is like, okay, it doesn't matter what's happening. I'm just going to do it anyway. Yeah. I almost think of it as like, is it as almost like smiling practice? It's possible. Mm. It's, it's part of my practice is like, part of my practice is to smile. It doesn't matter how I'm feeling. Yeah. I think the rabbis say something about that something about like uh like greet everybody with a with a, a pleasant countenance something like yes. that with a, with a pleasant face basically and and right. i think that there's something to that it's like what if yeah. you know put on a smile you know it's it, it could be worse <laughs> <laughs> whatever it is it could be worse right uh, i don't know how much i buy that but yeah yeah i'm not sure i buy that either but you know <laughs> But it's nice. It's a nice idea. It's like, okay. nice idea. <laughs> well, actually, you know, maybe not to get us totally off topic from the beginning, but in some way it's almost like our societal problem is the opposite is that we put on a smile, even when we're feeling really crummy and then nobody yes. knows that we're having had a hard time or like, yes. and they don't, or they, or if we did put the, we did communicate, we were having a hard time. That wouldn't be okay. I don't know. Anyway. It's true. Yes. Toxic positivity, I believe, is the, the phrase. Yeah. That's the thing? Okay. Well, yeah, the thing. I have not read about this. I've just heard the phrase and I, I think there's something to it. Yeah. Well, so although hopefully not on the toxic positivity side of things, but um, <laughs> so I'm curious. I, I've been asking people basically the questions of how did you find your way? Like, what's your story of getting to this place of Jewish mindfulness, becoming a teacher. I know you recently led a retreat and you periodically do lead some, some small retreats, but um, I mean, short retreats, not small. Short, yes, very um, short. And, and also have been on staff for longer retreats as well. And, yes. and I'm curious where, uh, if you haven't read her book yet, then you don't know the full story yet. So I'm assuming people will wanna read your book after they're done listening to us. I'm hoping. Uh -huh. Um, I hope so too. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I got into meditation because, you know, I was struggling with feeling anxious. And I don't remember who told me, but it was like meditation is supposed to be good for anxiety. And so I actually think the first time I ever meditated, I was visiting a friend in Brooklyn and heard about this like Buddhist Sangha that was meeting and they did meditation together. So I just like wandered in. They were very friendly. They showed me how to sit on the floor with the cushions. I had no idea what I was doing. I was kind of lost, but it was fine. And then I actually found out that a yoga studio near my house does weekly meditation classes. So I started attending these and the teacher was a Buddhist and it was kind of Buddhist influence. And I did find it helpful. 
you know, it did actually, I just found the practice helpful. It was useful. It did kind of make me feel calmer and less stressed. And then, you know, probably maybe around that time, I had first started learning about Judaism. You know, I grew up pretty mediocre Jewish upbringing, you know, boring services, didn't like Hebrew school, became a bat mitzvah and was like, hand them out. Thank you. But, you know, 25 years later, through a bizarre series of circumstances, I started learning about Judaism on my own and was like, wait a second, this is not terrible. This is actually a really radical, you know, subversive, edgy, beautiful, insightful, wise approach to being human. You know, this is 4,000 years of crowdsourced wisdom from millions of people about how to be a good person, how to lead a worthy life, how to find profound spiritual connection. You know, beyond God is a man in the sky who controls everything, which didn't believe then, I still don't believe now. Fortunately, that's actually not what Judaism says. Um, and, you know, so I, you know, I was doing this Jewish track of learning and, and I eventually decided to write a book about what I'd learned because I found, found it hard to write, learn about Judaism as an adult. You know, there were lots of like nuts and bolts intro kind of how-to books, which were great. And there were these super esoteric books, which <laughs> as you've read all of them in rabbinical school, it's like, you got to really, it's a commitment. And it really, they really tested. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, they tested my patience. Wasn't reading Bubert really, you know, it's like that kind of, it was tough. I just thought, okay, where is the book for people like me that covers the basics, that does that intro stuff, but really unearths the most radical, subversive, life-altering truths that Judaism has to teach us. So that was the book I wrote. So I'm on these two separate tracks. And then I, I, you know, I was looking for something to do over the December holidays back in, I don't know, 2014. And I think I Googled like meditation retreat and I happened in and a Jewish meditation retreat came up and I was like, what? I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> There's like a Jewish meditation. I'd, I'd never heard of this. I thought, and it was called Awakening the Divine, which sounded ridiculous to me. Like, I do not do the woo-woo. I'm not <laughs> like a hippie Jew. It's made me feel very nervous. I thought maybe these people would be weird. But I talked to the retreat manager, who's a lovely woman named Jenna Engleder, who is now actually at a Maharat. She's uh, training to be a, a Orthodox, an Orthodox a school that trains Orthodox women to be clergy. She is in that program. And she was lovely. And she assured me that it was you know, suitable for beginners and it didn't sound like cult. She seemed very, you know, she didn't seem troubling as a person. And so I kind of signed up just and figured, okay, I'll give this a try. I had very low expectations, but you know, that retreat was led by an excellent teacher named Rabbi James Jacobson Mazels and by a woman named Yale Shai, who's also an excellent teacher and by Rabbi Sam Feinsmith, another excellent teacher. And I just had a transformative experience on that retreat. I mean, it just was one of the most powerful experiences I've had in my life. It kind of really, it's kind of a turning point in my life where I, I think it kind of opened me up to another dimension of existence. Um, you know, just, it really like, I, you know, I went in feeling pretty anxious and it really, over the course of the week, I began to get to come some of the roots of what I was feeling. And it was just an extraordinary experience. And I've done about 15 of these retreats since then. Wow. So I'm curious about the, like, just if you were to try to pinpoint what the, what happened, because because you, you were interested in the Buddhism and in terms of the meditation, and that was part of your life and Judaism as a intellectual pursuit that you were learning about, you know, on your own. 
And then yeah. something about this retreat took things to a new level for you. And I'm curious. Yeah, that's, that. yeah, you know, something. So I think it was the combination of the Judaism and the meditation, you know, a Jewish meditation retreat. They're very similar in structure to secular and Buddhist retreats, you know, similar kind of schedules. You have a talk every night on a Buddhist retreat. It's a Dharma talk on a Jewish retreat. It's a talk based in Jewish text. But, you know, I think that for me, it was the first time where we connected meditation to getting closer to the divine. I don't like the word God because I connotes a being in the sky, which I adamantly don't believe in. So I like the divine is sort of a better uh, word for me. And, you know, I, that, you know, so I think what happened over the course of the week is, you know, my mind just got quieter and quieter. I was able to really notice my thoughts and examine them and just see how repetitive they were, almost like how mechanical they were. It's like, wow, you know, and that's when you're, after a few days of meditating, you get some distance from your thoughts. So my body wasn't just caught up in anxiety. You know, I'd sort of calmed down and I could just see these thoughts arising and arising and arising. And I was like, wow, that is such a mechanical, repetitive process. Like, that's not me. That's something going on in my brain. And as I noticed it, it just kind of lost its grip on me. You know, it kind of faded. And what was left was a lot of feelings, you know, grief. Um, gratitude. You know, just, I, I, I spent the whole week crying, which was probably alarming to the poor guy sitting next to me. <laughs> like, you know, it's like in a good way. Really, or like, yeah. I, I mean, you know, I'm a very quiet meditation retreat crier. I don't like. I, I'm very considerate. <laughs> I don't want anyone to know. But I'm sure he could tell. And I and I thought I was doing a good job keeping it quiet. But at one point, after I we you know we were on a break from meditating, and I came back to my seat, and someone had left a little package of tissues with a post-it note on it that said for you, exclamation point. I never figured out who did it, whether it was one of the teachers or whatever, but it was like such a sweet, tender thing that someone had thought that. But anyways, you know, as I'm, you know, as I was, you know, just having this experience of my mind quieting, of getting in touch with these deeper emotions, I just kind of had a felt sense of getting in touch with something transcendent, you know, something that felt very intimate and yet also infinite, something that like, to say I heard a voice, that, that's nonsense. I didn't hear a voice. Like that's, re- that, that to me, I just, no. But I, I just had intuitions about things that felt like they were coming from outside of me and they felt very true and like nothing I'd experienced before. And that did not change my conception. You know, I, I still don't think that that's a man in the sky who intervenes in my life and controls everything because like that leads you down a very complex and, and disturbing path of like, what about the Holocaust? Oh, who knows? Like, okay, let's not. It's like, you know, God cured, cured my cancer. Oh, amazing. But what about the Holocaust? Oh, we can't know God's ways. You were pretty confident God cured your cancers, but you suddenly become agnostic when it's like, okay, let's not do that. But I did have a sense of something, you know, something that's somehow connected to some inner part of me and that connects me to everyone and that calls us to, you know, live a higher form of existence. I'm startlingly inarticulate about this because I just think that the minute you start to talk about it, it becomes idolatry, right? The minute you start to limit it with words and definitions, you're almost committing a kind of idolatry, right? You're shrinking something that can't be captured into the limits of your tiny little words and minds. And it's just, Judaism is like, don't do that. You know, just don't, it's not going to go well. You know, we're very anti-idolatry. But I think, you know, I did, it really opened up this realm of existence. And I left that retreat just feeling so open, so flushed with my life, so present, so just connected. And it faded. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Like you can't 
walk around like this all the time, right? You close up, it faded, yeah. but you know, I, I was talking to a friend of mine actually who's in a Episcopalian training as an Episcopalian clergy person. I think, I think they call them priests. Gosh, that's embarrassing or minister. I don't know. I should know that. Um, but he actually, he had a similar experience as a child. And he said, you know, he's like, of course I don't feel that all the time, but that experience is the well from which I continue to draw from. And I thought that was a beautiful way to put it. Like that experience yeah. is a well from which I continue to draw from and from which I get fleeting intimations of every so often. You know, but that really changed everything for me. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of meditation retreats. So and you've yeah, got to find the right one, you know, got to find the right thing. one. Yeah, of, of course, right? They're not all equal, I think. Yes. And you got lucky. I think that similarly to the way that I got lucky in terms of just falling into the right teacher's hands. Yes. And just being in a, the right place in my life. And what for whatever reason, I was like open to doing the, th the thing, whatever they the schedule said, and the teachers asked me to practice, I did that. If it, if yes. it didn't, nothing was like, it wasn't anything wild. I mean, I think I feel like the most wild thing they probably asked me to do was probably the Keats Bodedut, the, yes. um, the praying with yourself, going into to sequester time and talking out loud to God yeah. practice which um which multiple people have talked about as as a, a transformational time that actually i will say on the retreat i think that you know what tipped me from just you know feeling calmer anxiety under control to kind of becoming in touch with something was that practice of heat body do you know i thought it was so ridiculous like it sounded like the kind of new age nonsense that i just totally cannot ridiculous. stand yeah. It's ridiculous. Like the teachers were like, okay, you know, it's like eight o'clock on a Thursday night. They're like, now you're going to go out into the, the fields and the woods where no one can hear you. And you're going to talk out loud to God for 45 minutes or half an hour, whatever it was without stopping. Too and like, long. it has to be out loud, right? Like you can't, you can't talk in your head and it, you just, you can't stop. So if you run out of things to say, you're like, don't have things to say, nothing to say, this is stupid. And if you don't believe in God, you're just like, I'm talking to nothing who I don't even believe in you, whatever, which was my position that you know, I'm like you were no an atheist before that or you would have called yourself atheist? yeah I would have called myself I mean atheist is too strong a word I would have called my I would have called myself a very like an agnostic tending towards I mean was I an atheist about a god who controls everything yes, yes. definitely yeah. I've never believed in that but like about some dimension of existence like I kind of maybe thought there might be you know but it, it agnostic I think I was an agnostic but to you know the idea to speak to a god I could call you I was like this is so dumb and I, and I, then I was like, I follow rules. I'm like, I'm going to get the A and be the valedictorian at this retreat. So like, <laughs> like you, you know, I just did. I was like, all right, what can I, what, what do I got to lose by this? Right. That's the thing. Never it's like, I'm before. stuck here. You know, I'm like in the middle of nowhere. I can't leave. Everyone else is just trooping out to do this. So I was like, all right. And I just was so shocked at how emotional I got. Like, it just was like shocking to me. Like I started out being like, Hey God who doesn't exist what's up like it's just kind of being a jerk and like I don't know just thinking this is stupid but it, you really like I don't know I just got into it and found it very emotional and was like surprised I surprised myself and the next day I think I started to just touch into something it was really it was I actually recommend that people do this you know I, I this is a practice I actually recommend to people and they think I'm nuts but I'm like just try it I have to and people look at me like come on dude 
<laughs> and I tell them, I'm like, it's okay if you don't believe in God. You should say that. Like, I, like, I don't believe in that. I don't believe in that. Who right. am I talking to? I'm like, damn, right. don't worry about that part. Don't worry about it. Just tell what, tell God, be like, I don't believe in you. You do not exist. That's fine. Like, that's okay. You know, I, I think it is and the point of people that I do, I mean, it's, and you have to follow the rules. The point is to push you beyond your kind of closed, rational, doubting mind, right? It's just right. that it's a forcing mechanism that you have to keep on talking out loud. And so I think following those rules is very important. Yeah. It's almost like that's the, the, the magic starts happening when you start, when you run out of things to say. Yeah. When you, yeah. When you run out of like whatever you could possibly script because yes. to talk continuously that way is that's a lot it's a lot it's a lot I mean I did it on one retreat we did it for an hour which was like it was in LA actually it was the one we I did with you where you were the you were one of the teachers this was yeah. a, a retreat out in LA and we did it for an hour and I remember going like I was oh. like I don't want anyone to hear me oh also and I went in the like, desert too it was like it was in the desert which is intense what so went, an intense moment place so I went like way yonder up into these hills and I was like all right no one can hear me. I'm doing it. I'm talking. And all of a sudden from behind me, I hear, I am grateful for my life. And I was like, what the? And I turn around and there's a guy, maybe like, I don't know, 15 or 20 feet from me. And we both, I guess, been doing it really quietly. And suddenly he just yelled. And so we hadn't noticed each other until that moment. And I, we both turned around and we're startled. And then he just goes, he shrugs and he just runs off. I'm like, okay. You know, in some way, like, I think the the thing that I've I've been noticing about practice for me recently in some way it's like it's almost like the things that interrupt my practice like those kinds of moments where I'm in my own space and I'm thinking about my own thing and then all of a sudden somebody shouts and I haven't heard that part of your story before I didn't know that but that happened yeah almost like the interrupter of like the, 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 the birds that fly by or the truck that makes a sound or the, or whatever it's like, or somebody shouting, I'm so grateful for my life. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah. Like me too. Like I, I forgot yes. to say that almost. It's like, that's an element that I, I want to fold into my practice. And that doesn't mean that I accept everything that comes into my life, but when it is enhancing, yeah, it's like, and I, and you're right. Like, it's not an interruption of practice. It's part of practice, right? It's like when I'm sitting and there's a noise, it's not like, oh, that screwed up my practice. It's like, okay, I'm noticing this noise. I'm noticing myself flinching and getting frustrated and hating the fact that the city is loud and spinning a story about how, why is everyone so noisy? It's like, okay, I'm noticing this. Oh, okay. This is happening now. Like, all right, what's going on? Can I just come back to my breath? You know, it's part, it's like part of the practice. And I think that's a hard, that took me a long time to learn. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I, think I was just going like, to say, I was like, that's not yeah. how you started. <laughs> that's not how you start. Like, you're just like, no, this is, you know, people just, people have so many, and by people, I mean me, these misconceptions about meditation. So many people say to me, they're like, oh, I, I could never meditate. I can't just sit and quiet my mind and have no thoughts and be at peace. I was like, yeah, thank God. Cause you'd be dead. Right. There's no, like, no one can do that. That's not meditation. They have this weird idea about what it is. I'm like, meditation is not relaxing. In fact, it's a lot more like going to the gym than going to the beach, right? Ah, it is a practice. And that's the you. thing. It's like, you feel better afterwards when you do it for like, like the gym, after you do it for a few weeks, you notice the difference. But when you're doing it, it's horrible. Who likes going to the gym? I mean, I know people do, but like, whatever. I do not enjoy that. 
I might feel like a little better after I've worked out. And over the course of weeks, I will notice results, but like, it's a practice. That's why when I first started, I'm like, really your practice of sitting still and doing nothing like, okay. And now I realize like, no, no, it's a practice. That's it's a hard. practice. Yeah. And retreat is such a misnomer. Can we start calling it <laughs> like, I don't it's know like if people would go. Right. It's the opposite of a retreat. It's more like a coming towards, you know, like retreat is going away. We should call it like a coming towards because you are actually at a retreat. Like you're coming towards all the things that the daily noise of your life keeps you from seeing, right? We're so distracted by all these things. And yeah. when those go away, some suddenly you're like, oh, wow. Hello, like grief, you know, hello, loneliness, hello, joy, hello, gratitude. Like all these things that we don't have time to feel. Um, it's very powerful. Yeah, super. And I'm curious, I'm, I guess I'm curious what practice looks like for you nowadays, now that you're yes. kind of like, and we met in, we met in teacher training. So yeah. that was a few years ago already. Yep. And um, does, have things shifted for you or in what way? Yeah. You know, I am, I do not have a solid daily practice now, you know, and that's not something I'm thrilled about. You know, I do, I try to do it, you know, uh, Rabbi James Jacobs Maisel's has a lovely weekly course that I just tuned into a couple of weeks ago. I'm trying to make that more of a regular practice in my life. I sometimes do just like brief moments of meditation where I'll just like stop, take a break, do it. But like, I haven't had a daily practice in a while. And like, that's not great, right? Just doing a retreat or two a year is like not ideal, but you know what? It's better than nothing. So I think like, it's easy to beat myself up over, like, I'm not doing the ideal thing, but I, you know, for now, this is working. Maybe yeah. that will change. I'd like to do more, but I just, you know, I think people get very focused on like the right way to do this. and like, you know, yeah, more is better. Yeah. Doing it regularly is better, but like, I think you just do it as you can, you know? Yeah. I wonder sometimes if more really is better. Yeah. No, I, yeah. There's a certain point at which you, you just like probably get to like a saturation point. Yes. And And I, I take that back actually. You're right. I meant like, you know, probably doing 10 minutes a day is probably going to give you a little more of an effect than five minutes a day, right? Like, you know, probably 20 minutes is going to give, maybe give you a little more than 10. I think once you get up to like 45 minutes, an hour at a time, like that's, I'm, I'm not convinced that anyone needs to do that. I actually, my, uh, a friend of mine and I, we just did like, we spent like a few hours one afternoon just sitting with each other. And she said like, we're going to, let's do 30 minutes sits. I was like, oh, I usually do 45. And she was like, yeah, we don't need to do that. Just do 30 minutes. <laughs> and it was actually better. I have to say, I actually found it more helpful. Wow. So, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah, on retreat, whenever there's a 45 minute block, I look at my, I like have to like, you know, I don't actually do this, but it's like, come on. I, don't know. <laughs> I know, exactly. I do feel, you feel like that's long. 45 minutes is long, right? I'm not, minutes. it's long. But I will say, one thing I will say is there is a qualitative difference between a daily practice and going on a week-long retreat. Like you cannot, you know, no daily practice is going to capture yeah. just like the depth and transformative power of like seven days of sitting, of meditating all day. Like that's just, it's such a rare gift. And it's like, listen, very few people can access this both like financially and time-wise. I mean, there's just, you know, so I feel badly saying this, but it is a really special experience. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, 
I think one of the things, one of the reasons I teach is because I know that most people are not prepared to do some, I don't know, kind of crazy thing of like deciding to go away for a retreat to meditate. Yes. Even if you've, pra- even if you do have a practice, which I didn't before I went on a retreat, to go wow. from sitting for 20 or 30 minutes to deciding to be, I'm going to be meditating for a few days yeah. is a big, that is like the, the ramp is, is huge from that, from that. It's, it's huge. It is like, I think like emotionally and psychologically, it's a huge leap, but I think once you actually do it, like, I was like, yeah. oh, this is fine. Right? Like it's, you're, you're only, you're not meditating for eight hours straight. You're meditating for 30 or 40 minutes at a time. And you take a break and do a walking meditation or go to lunch or, you know, it's not as right. austere. And I also think in the Jewish context, it's very warm and fuzzy, right? It's really affirming and compassionate and gentle. And you're really urged to like, go easy on yourself. This is not some austere context of like, don't sleep, meditate all the time. It's not, I think any context like that is not, I would not recommend it. You know, you should be sleeping eight hours a night and eating lots of meals and snacks. And it should be a really compassionate you know, gentle container. Yeah. So I'm curious, is that, is that like breakthrough moment that you had where you, where you sort of kind of felt a connection? I mean, that sounds really powerful and important. And I'm curious how that moment you feel like has colored your life since then. Yeah. Oh, I love that question. You know, I think what it, it's really hard to put in words, but I do think it gave me a sense of, you know, this idea of divine createdness, which like, you know, I don't take literally the idea that there is a being who has created us all like in a factory. So, you know, it, that, that literal notion is sort of, I don't really buy, but like metaphorically some sense that each of us are this like unique and sacred and precious creation. I don't think I really believe that before this retreat. And I think I walked away having a sense of yeah. unique createdness and having a sense of like, almost like sacred purpose, divine purpose, like having a sense that there was just, that there was like a voice within me that was deeper than all this external stuff about achievement and resume and what others expected me to do. And I think that, you know, following, like just being able to just, I, I feel like I've since that retreat been more able to discern that voice. And I think a lot of it, if you want to talk about it in a secular way, it's like being connected to your body, right? Like being aware of your body, being able to feel your body. Like we feel things like intuitions in our body. You know, the, the word gut instinct, like it has the word gut in it, right? You know, like you feel these things in your body, these, and, and you know, what is it scientifically? It's probably perceiving a bunch of visual and auditory and other cues that assemble in your brain and tell you some piece of information about your response to someone or your own excitement or lack of excitement about something. But if you are kind of totally not, not aware of your body, it's very hard to like feel those things and then to make life choices that reflect those feelings. And I think I was pretty kind of checked out and just kind of not fully aware of that. And I think the retreat kind of tuned me into that in some ways. And it's still something I've been working on since then. You know, it wasn't like some yeah. magical, like, and now practice. I can feel every feeling. Yeah, it's practice. But I do think I, you know, I think that that retreat actually, like, it put me on a path where I was able to kind of, you know, feel that spark, hear that, that, I don't know, still small voice within myself and to kind of do things that I wanted to do. You know, so I like, you know, I 
which I was Michelle Obama's head speech writer in the White House for you know, six and a half out of eight years. And I worked for the president for the first one and a half, two years. And I was there for eight years. What makes sense after that path is to keep working for Mrs. Obama and write her memoir and write for CEOs and celebrities. And I was like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. But after that retreat, I just kind of started to get this idea that I wanted to write this book on Judaism, which precisely like no one thought was a good idea. Um, <laughs> but I just, I don't know. I was just able to discern that and to follow that. You know, which was weird. People were like, you're turning down all this money and guaranteed success for like a book that no one may read. And I was like, yep, that's correct. But, but I was like, I just feel called to do this. And then, you know, a couple of years later after the book came out, I was like, I am really interested in hospital chaplaincy. Like that's just something that really calls to me. It's not, well, I'm not doing this full time, but I am doing part-time training and working as a hospital chaplain, just something to do on the side while I try to write another book. And again, that was like getting in touch with like that feeling in my body of excitement, of yearning, of passion, which I think, you know, I was so focused before on like achievement and doing certain things. And I think, you know, I just feel much happier now. Yeah. You know, maybe like, I just feel, and I will say like writing my first book was terrible. Like it was so miserable. Oh my God. You remember remember me. I was like, I was so stressed out. It was like being in final exams for 18 months. My, like, it was so exhausting. I was working 70 hours a week, but while it wasn't fun, I felt so close to the divine. Like I just felt such a sense of alignment with divine purpose. Like I just felt so spiritually connected while I was doing that because it just was the thing that I knew I wanted to do. And so, you know, I guess when I say like, I'm happier, that is true. It doesn't always mean it's more fun. You know, maybe more fulfilled is a better way to put yeah. it, like more, Intent. more alive. Yeah. 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 More I love that. Yeah. I, I, I feel like I wish this was a skill that and a practice that's taught in every synagogue and yes. every day school and every religious school and every, you know, I think even in churches and, yeah. and mosques, I feel like the point of the practice seems to be if there's a point (laughs) like to make you to make you feel more connected to make you feel more aligned to make you to to make you feel more um able to notice those subtleties that are telling you be more compassionate here or like don't go for the ego thing do do what's right here or you know like dedicate your life to service yes and if we don't, and it's like, but we're not giving people the tools necessarily to discern that or the practices that are going to lead them in that direction. And it's like, it feels to me, at least for at least people like me, uh, or maybe like you, that without those practices, we're not, we didn't get there. Like, like maybe like through song when I was like, five years old I felt a really great connection but then since then I feel like I've I've learned a lot of facts I learned a lot of stories but I've learned a lot of um laws but I haven't really felt like I've been taught how to access that on a regular day-to-day my own internal sense of how I can live a more fulfilling spiritual life and it sounds like you're talking about that And I am. And I love, like, I love the way you're talking about it, right? Because it's like, you would never say, and I would never say, all you need to do is meditation. 
don't do anything else. That's it, right? Like, that's not what you're saying. What I'm hearing you saying, which I like passionately agree with is like, do some meditation, right? It's like, we have prayer, which is really powerful for some people, both communal and personal individual. We have study, also very powerful. We have a blessing practice. We, you know, Judaism has a lot of spiritual tools and technologies. Meditation is one of them, right? Like, you know, you can, you can trace roots back, the roots of meditation way back in Judaism. Is it mindfulness meditation? Probably not, but it's something along these lines. And I think that that's, you know, that's something that's missing. And that I think is a really important technique to be added to the mix, right? Like I think it's, you know, and I think people gravitate differently towards different ones of these techniques. They're suited differently for these and that's okay. And I think for people who are more suited for meditation, that whole is a real problem. It's almost like it should be added as like a rite of passage. Like not everybody needs to like take this on as a practice for life, but everybody should experience what a three-day retreat is. You know, everybody yeah. should be able to be be silent for, you know, 72 yes. hours. Like and the thing that's crazy is like people, I mean, there are studies that show there's a study that showed that people, like when when given the opportunity to either be alone in a room without their phone for some very short period of time, it was not a long period of time, or to receive a mild electric shock, the majority chose the electric shock. Like, what? Can you what not is believe it? that? It's like terrifying. <laughs> right? It's like, it's like like if rather, we cannot be alone with our thoughts for 20 minutes, guys, that's an indication that something's going on that you need to deal with, right? Like it's so, I mean, the number of people who've been like, oh, I could never, you know, what, what if I sat down? Like what would happen? Like they're actually afraid. They're like, what would come up? I, I don't even want to know what I would start thinking. It's like, okay, wait, just hear that for a minute, right? Like if, if there is a, if you have a sense that there are just like, scary things that might flood in that you're constantly kind of holding off like maybe it's time to like deal with those things right so you can like yeah. you know what and maybe meditation might not be the right way there are right maybe that's, that's a psychotherapy right. or whatever. right maybe it's therapy maybe, you know which is fine like whatever it is but it's like just hearing that from so many people I'm like well that's that's a hard way to live right so like feel like if you just stay still for like half an hour your world is going to kind of come crashing in it's like whoa you know it's like that uncomfortable right and yeah. that's what you learn is like, through the meditation you learn like oh wow how much of my life is spent just trying to avoid discomfort yeah right like, trying to go avoid discomfort or just like getting things done or telling stories in my head I mean I, I love what you said about you know the power of meditation it's not just to know yourself but it is actually you know over the course of retreat you, you soften, right? Like I became so much more sensitive, not just to myself, but to others, like so much more compassionate, so much more open-minded. Like I just, you know, it really, like, I think that is one of the key benefits of this. And it's very much in line with all the Jewish thinking that we have around chesed, right? Loving kindness. How do we, how are we there for people in times of vulnerability, in times of tragedy and struggle, right? Like I actually think meditation is very fruitful for that endeavor. Yeah, especially when you start to notice how much of the reality you of what we think is reality is totally made up. Yeah, that yeah. I've All the stories we tell. Story to myself. Nobody was even yeah. there telling it me to me. And, <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like when you're on retreat and like you know, it's like someone bumps into you. You're like that person is like so inconsiderate, and they did that deliberately just because they don't like me because I was breathing too loud, and they didn't like. It's like what? 
And like, yeah, like you notice your mind doing this and you're like that like later you know. find out that they were like like first or either you find out something otherwise or you yes. just recognize like i really have no idea no how idea. or why or what and i've just made up a total like i could equally have told the story of kindness yes and how right? it might have been a really hard time for them or whatever or i could have told the same story which is they're out to get me and blah 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 yes. and like i chose to do the out to get me story i think me too totally. like, me like why did i do that right and and how many other ways am i doing that in my life that are just totally yeah. like my own manufacturing it's not i also think i mean that's exactly right i also think that for me it was like terrifying to realize how often i am not present in my life like the amount of time that i am spending catastrophizing things careening into a future that does not exist right like oh my gosh i have a pain in my knee what if that pain in my knee is cancer what if i get cancer i have to go to the hospital it's like you know or like rehashing arguments where i am now winning and I'm like, yeah, oh, you know yeah. what? Let me tell you, like, the number of, like, I just saw myself on a retreat. I was constantly rehashing, ruminating, or, like, obsessing, you know, worrying into a future. And I was like, I'm not here, right? And I think that that's another benefit of meditation is I am, you know, from both my, mainly from my retreat practice, I just developed the muscle to, like, notice, like, oh, I'm not here, right? Like, I am not in any way in touch with what is happening at this moment. I am spinning stories, just spinning stories, spinning stories. And it's like, or I, I don't know that. Or there's another generous way to think about that situation. Yes. And yes. I could sit here and kind of flog that, or I can sit here and try to think about that other thing. But like, either way, I'm missing whatever it is that's right here. Totally, totally. And it's hard, like, I, you know, and I'm bad at it, right? Like, I'm, I, I still spin off into things way too much, but I think I catch myself a little bit more now because of this practice. What a so gift. I, like, I'm a fan. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I think hopefully you're inspired by this as much as I am. Anybody listening or watching this, because this is this is what um, this is how you and I connected, and this has uh, been such a, it's been such a gift for me to have you as a friend in my life and a colleague, and a really close friend, I'd say. And yes, um, I'm grateful that that you joined me today. And hopefully, anybody who's listening and wants to hear more about what Sarah uncovered in her uh, rediscovery of Jewish practice will go get your book here all along. I'm sure there'll be more books uh, that you'll, that you'll write. That'll be interesting in other ways. No pressure. <laughs> um, Fingers and, and articles and other contributions that you'll make to this, to this world. And I'm grateful to know you. I'm grateful that you joined and uh, I'll, I'll leave a, a link in the notes in the comments section for anybody who wants to follow up with you to be able to uh, either book you for a speaking engagement or read your book, but mostly read your book or listen, <laughs> or actually, you know, for people who have a hard time reading books, you can also just listen to the book on Audible, yes, um, which has like amazing ratings. Um, I looked you up earlier, so yeah. <laughs> I read the Audible book. My, my, I did it. My, I read it myself. It was man, it was a lot of time in a studio alone yeah. reading, but it was fun. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm grateful for you. Is there, uh, is there a prayer you want to leave us with of what you hope our time um, can contribute to the world? 
Yeah. You know, I really hope that, you know, anyone who is with us today that you, you know, saw the joy that Rav Ariel and I take in this practice and in each other. I hope that you see that there might be power in this in your own life, whether it's, you know, meditation retreats or a daily practice or a very sparse daily practice like I have, whatever it is, I think there are many ways to get into this. And I hope that you get into it with curiosity and gentleness and compassion. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks, everybody. To stay updated on new episodes, subscribe on iTunes or follow on Facebook.com slash Rabbi Shulk. That's Rabbi Shulk, R-A-B-B-I-S-H-O-L-K. Hey, so if you're really serious about this, come on down to RavArielle.com. That's www.ravariel.com. Take our free trial do the self-learn path or try group coaching or even come apply to work with me one-on-one and you'll give yourself the accountability and the support and the step-by-step path that you need to feel calmer, more mindful and happier with your life. So come on down www.ravariel.com. See you there.